I would put this um, particular section of scriptures <clears throat> under a category of the hard sayings of Jesus. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is definitely one of those things, and, and might I add, maybe that's the next sermon series, if we could ever get out of Mark, uh, just looking through some of the very difficult things that Jesus said and that we have to try to reconcile in this. What makes this story so significant with the encounter of this rich young man meeting Jesus He's seeking eternal life, and he's seeking entry into the kingdom, and and he's seeking salvation. And what makes this so so significant and interesting is that his wealth, his status, his influence proved not to be a benefit. In fact, what it proved was that it was a barrier for him to enter into the kingdom of God or, or to, to enter into salvation. And I believe we could use those terms at times synonymously. And so and to this extent, it, it's, it's such a striking story. If you, you read through this and you just kind of look at it on the surface and kind of from an elevated view, you see a young guy, and he, we know he's young because Matthew or, or Luke's account says he's young. He's influential. He's wealthy. He knows his stuff. He's been abiding by what he believes to be the law. He's been dotting the I's, crossing the T's. And, and, if, and if this guy, uh, if anyone were to be picked to, to, to lead, I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet that I would pick this guy because he's got influence, because he knows the Torah, because he's a good person on the surface. And, and, and you got to think like, uh, you know, because Jesus has these, uh, the, the, the 12 doofuses of a disciples following and, and you got to think like, well, well, this guy comes on and, and you're excited. You're excited because, because finally I don't have 12 morons. I have 12 morons and I have one cool guy. And it just strikes me as such an interesting story because, you know, these, these disciples, um, they're, they're, just, they're just rambling dudes. And, and as we just saw and heard, Peter just wants to insert himself into the conversation just because he just wants to hear himself speak. And, and finally, we get a guy who, who most churches see today. Most churches see a guy walk in, and, and, and i got to just be honest with you, especially in Utah, uh, if we got a guy who knows his theology and who's a good person and, and who's been abiding by the law, we're like, hey, let's, let's put him on the elder board today. Sign here, and, and we'll, we'll let you take over half of the church. But, but, but what's interesting, and there's a point in all of this, and the point is clear, that any substitute God, that any idol, whether it be wealth whether it be materialism, whether it be sex, whether it be relationships, whatever it is, anything, any substitute of God, nothing, says Jesus, is allowed to come between him and his kingdom. Nothing is allowed to come between him and his kingly rule because what Mark has been establishing so far from the beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, I believe, it, it talks about that the kingdom is here. Repent and believe. 
It's the establishment of the kingdom of God. And through Christ, his kingly rule, it is here. It is now. And, and, and there is nothing that will allow you to get into the kingdom unless you only go through Christ, our Lord. And, and, and Jesus would say, unless you repent and believe and you gotta, you got to understand that this message is so concise. This message is so clear to us. Repent and believe. You want the kingdom? Repent and believe. You want to you go through the kingdom of God? Become like a child. Repent and believe. And you got to understand, followers of this day, they would have heard a clear message. Message was on point from Jesus. Because up until this point, all they've heard were like these, these Pharisees who were just rambling and, and just muddying up the message and, and clouding everybody's perspective of the kingdom. And finally, Jesus comes in and he gives a very clear message. And its clarity is what is so striking. If you want to enter into the kingdom, there will, you, you can't take your wealth. You can't take your possessions. You can't allow any relationship to come in between Christ and his kingly rule. This young man is, uh, this incident of this young man ought to be a challenge to all of the, us. To where many of us, and maybe, maybe it's us in this room, but, but many in our society, in our culture, in our state, in our city, many of us where we have been uh, barely touched by the gospel, surrounded by false religion, fascinated by its, its impact, yet untouched by Jesus. And what we have here, and what we have to challenge ourselves here this morning, with the same challenge that this guy has right here, is that he is lost in himself. I mean, that's just it. And the challenge that's being presented to you and I this morning from this text is, are you lost in yourself? This man is completely lost in himself. And what do I mean by that? He's lost in his goodness, right? I'm good. I do the law. I go to church. I check the things off that needs to be checked. I do the things. I'm a, I'm a good, I, I, I've memorized everything. I, I'm, I'm a great person. But in his search for eternity, we find that this guy is simply just lost in himself. And what this should point to us is more language of what we've been talking about in these illustrations of entering into the kingdom. That the only way from salvation, that salvation from start to finish is not a human achievement. And therefore, this man, this young dude here who is searching for eternity, he, he is lost in himself. He's clearly not secure in all that he had already done. Otherwise, there's no point to come to Jesus. So, so surely there's some kind of, uh, whatever rhyme or reason it is, there's some kind of insecurity in him that he's got to go search out for Jesus just so he can hear Jesus say, yeah, you've done enough. This is good, you're in, but that's not how the story goes. This, this young man says, well, I've kept all the commandments, and, and he's, 
you know, and Jesus is like, yeah, well, okay, you, you think you've kept all the commandments, but what looks like is happening on the surface is that you've forgotten the first two commandments. What are the first two commandments? Love the Lord. The other one's about idolatry. And, and, and it looks like this guy's got maybe three, three, ten down, but he has completely forgotten the fundamental one. Love the Lord your God. And so I want you to see this. So, so if, if it's not goodness, and so I, I love the interaction that Jesus gives him uh, because the, the man here, um, the man here, he, he calls Jesus good. I, I want you to see a couple of things here before I get into some uh, uh, maybe application. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It's been a very long week for me. So just pray for me. Um, get a sick child, all that kind of stuff. I, I want you to see a couple of things here. It, they, Jesus asked him a question. Why do you call me good. No one is good except for the Father, except for God. And in other words, Jesus is confronting this man on two things. He's confronting him on the identity of Jesus. He's also confronting him on the identity of this little cat right here. He's confronting him on who Jesus is and who this guy is. Why do you call me good, Jesus says. In other words, do you not know who you're talking about? Do you not know who you are talking to? Do you not realize who I am is what Jesus is essentially asking this young man. Do you see that? This is a confrontation of Jesus wanting to reveal his identity, because if you can't see Jesus for who, you for who he really is, then you'll never understand who you are. So, so he confronts him with Christ's identity, and then he's going to confront the man with his personal identity. And both of these things are involved in becoming a follower of Christ. The work of God through salvation is so that we is to confront us in our in the identity of Christ and who he is that he lived a perfect life that he lived a sinless life that he died the death that we deserved to die that he took the penalty that we deserve to take and so Jesus is giving us this identity of who he is and then he, then he switches gear because he wants this young man to, to see who he really is because we see this, this story and this hard truth of Jesus and Jesus is revealing the heart of this little guy right here and he's revealing where his idols are and who his real God is and that's the work of salvation. We see Christ for who he really is. Because when we see Christ for who he really is, we see how sinful we really are. We see the perfect righteous one, and then it immediately reveals to us our imperfections and our unrighteousness. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. I, I love that, you know, if Jesus was interested in simply making this fellow's you know, maybe just feel good about himself, then Jesus did a horrible job, right? I mean, this little lad wasn't like skipping down the street and like, 
Street. That's a so Georgia way of saying street. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't just like, or, or this guy wasn't, Jesus is like, hey man, you, you are good. You want eternal life? But man, I think you have done some really good things going about your way. And, and, and then the fellow just goes skipping down the street and singing uh, whatever happy song that you're, you sing when you're happy. And, but that's not what happens at all. What is it says that the, the Jesus, re, he, he, he tells this guy an issue of his heart. And, and this young man, how does he leave? Well, he's surely not happy. He leaves sad. This young man leaves said, what, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is, is putting his finger on the pain. He, Jesus is putting his finger on, on the, what needs to be focused on, on, on his pain point. I've been to the doctor a few times in my life. I can uh, admit that. And both times were with my knees. Now, I don't know what it is about knees, but it seems like you know, it, once they're janky, they seem to be always janky. And so I have 800-year-old man knees. And so I, I, I went to the doctor about it. Apparently, it was a, it was a little tear in something. And, and he begins to, to touch things. And, and then he touched the meniscus. And then I wanted to, well, I can't tell you what I said, but I could tell you what I thought. It, well, I can't even tell you what I thought because they were all unrighteous and unholy things that I said to him. And it, and it hurt. Like, I, I just wanted to punch the guy. He, you know, he, he, was, he was putting the finger on the pain point so that we could identify there's a problem. As if I really needed him to put his finger on my knee to identify that there was a problem. Why, why, why would a doctor do that? I mean, I'm no doctor by no means. But they do that so that they can identify the pain point so that we can fix the problem. And so here's the problem. Here's the dilemma. Now here's the solution. Your young self with the old man knee has to go through surgery. And so it takes that type of solution to heal the problem. This is exactly what Jesus does to any person that he encounters. He puts his finger on the pain point of their life and says, you, you want to follow me? You want, you want eternal life? Then you've got this God in your life, and I do not share my throne with anyone. You've got your wealth. You've got your knowledge. You've got your goodness. And let me tell you something, little fella. You ain't got nothing. Because until you release all of these problems, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus, that sounds like a mean Jesus, doesn't it? It is, it is by no means a mean Jesus. It is a loving, grace-filled Christ who would come to us and meet us as we are and not just leave us there but who would radically transform us into the image of his son. And so, and so when you think about Jesus doing this throughout the New Testament, he does this a lot of times. And so he takes the young woman at the well and he says, can I have a drink of water? And so, and so this little dialogue happens with him and this woman at the well. And, 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 and he says, go get your husband. And she's like, well, I ain't got no husband. 
I don't know if she said it like that, but I just kind of feel like there's a little shame in her response. And he's like, well, and, and Jesus says, yeah, I know you ain't got no husband. You've had a lot of husbands. And the man you're shacking with right now, he ain't your husband. Well, what was Jesus doing to her? Was he, was he self-identifying with her sin and telling her, oh, boo, it's okay. You can continue to live in the sin and the shame that you want to live in and follow me. No, Jesus is yet again taking his finger and putting it on the pressure point, putting it on the pain point of this fella and this lady. And this is the most incredible thing that Jesus can do for anyone. That he would not allow you to stay in the filth that you're in. That Christ Jesus does not allow you to stay the person that you've always been. You know, it's kind of like, I've mentioned this before, I'll stay off of it after today, I think. I don't know. You know, the whole he gets us campaign we saw. I don't really have a, a final opinion on it yet, and stay tuned. As if, I, as if I'm the person everybody's looking to for an opinion on it. I don't know, maybe that's a little narcissism in me. He gets us. Jesus gets us, and you bet he gets us. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He is too good of a God that would look at you and look at you in your sin and your shame and say, you know what, I think you could just stay there. That is not the God we serve. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. He puts his finger and he tells him, you've got to sell everything. You've got to get rid of all these things. Now, this is not, all right, this is not intro to socialism 101. This is not communism. This is not Jesus advocating for a socialistic society. Like, don't be foolish. Read your Bible. Jesus is not advocating for those things here. So he says, how are you doing with those commandments? Well, the, the fellow says, well, I'm doing, all, doing really good with all these commandments. And apparently, he forsakes the first two commandments. And Jesus identifies those two things that you have forsaken God because if you, you knew who you were really talking to, I'm the good one. And, and you would forsake the, the second command, that you would lay down these idols of, of all these things that you were holding on to. And Jesus says in verse 23, and he looks at his disciples and he says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Let me just give two little quick points uh, from this text. This morning, Jesus says some really, really tough and hard things, does he not? One of those things that Jesus says right here, it is difficult to get into the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? I've never really, because I was just kind of thinking on that, because I knew this was my text this week, and I was just kind of been just, just dwelling on that one little statement that it is difficult to get into the kingdom. It's hard to get into the kingdom. People want to identify Jesus as some kind of soft and, and warm, 
cozy fella, and, and, and he just wants to say things that he knows I want to hear. And, and, and then we'll, we'll even say, oh, it's just so easy to, to get into the kingdom of God. I'll just sign here today, and, and the kingdom is yours. You know who never said that it was easy to get into the kingdom? Jesus. It's difficult. Doesn't that challenge our view and what we've been listening to our whole lives from preachers? Well, it's just easy. You sign here today and then you get a car, you get a car, you get a free life and, and life is free for you all today. And, and, and so you've just kind of like watered down this message until you enter in and you're like, geez, this is difficult because Jesus is calling me out of my sin. And for that reason, and only for that reason, Jesus says, it is difficult for you. Make no mistake, he's not just talking about those who are holding on to wealth. He is talking to anyone who has an idol in your life and who is worshiping a false god, a false god of religion, a false god of relationship, a false god of prestige and, and, and influence or a false god of power and, and just the desire to always want more. He would look all of us in our eyes this morning and say, you know what? It's going to be difficult for you to enter into the kingdom of God if you are not willing to crush those idols in your life. Now, <laughs> that just, that, that's, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, hello, my name is Matthew. And I'm going to share a little story about it. I didn't grow up with that type of Jesus. I grew up with the easy beliefism, right? That's just, you know, all you got to do is just say a prayer and then you are in and don't, you know, don't worry about all the forsaking your life. Don't worry about entering the kingdom like a child. Don't worry about being little or, or being insignificant because that's what Jesus says. If you want to enter into the kingdom, let's look how you, how, how you do this. You repent and you believe and you kill the gods you've been worshiping. This very difficult saying of Jesus, it is difficult to enter into the kingdom. And it is difficult to enter into the kingdom if you are not willing to kill the idols that you are worshiping. And let me, let me ask you this morning, do you have an idol in your life that you need to kill do you, have a, do you have a God you've been worshiping that you need to lay aside? And that God could be a relationship. That God could be whatever that, that is a barrier for you to be in a right relationship with Jesus. The challenge is for us, as it was for this young man, are you willing to kill it? Jesus says it's difficult to enter into the kingdom. And so then this poses the second thought I had. Well, okay, well, well, how do we get into the kingdom? If it's difficult, then what do we do? Seems like Jesus is painting a picture that's just like, well, <laughs> sucks for all you peasants. I'm the God of the cosmos. I get the kingdom regardless. If you figure it out, good on you. Well, it, it, that's not what happens. The Jeep, they, they ask, and, and so you see right here in verse 26, 
Well, who can be silent? If this, get, this guy doesn't get in, a nice young man, a religious, you know, he's asking all the questions. What's, what's the point? Who then can be saved? Who then can receive salvation? Because what it looks like on the surface, and maybe, maybe I'm looking too deep into this, it looks like then what Jesus is saying, it is impossible then to be saved. <laughs> but then Jesus gives us these, this very famous verse that we've often taken out of context, and I want you to hear it applied correctly, that what is impossible with man, nothing is impossible with God. Why is that so significant? Because salvation, as I said earlier in this, this message, that salvation, it does not have you in the equation at all because it is only God and God alone who is the one who saves you. And any belief that would tell you, well, it's, it's what I, it was my part that I played. It was, it was because I was such a good kid and a young lad. And I was, you know, I was, I, I was good to my parents and, and I did all these things. I, I had a beautiful family and, and we all just looked and played the part. Then, then you, you've got an idol and that idol is yourself. In what looks to be like an impossible situation. Because that's a huge dilemma. Because I, I, I feel more inclined to be like, I want to be like this young guy. I want to look like I've got it all together. I, I want to know more. I want to I have the sound theology. I want to be able to communicate that. And, 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 I want, and I want to look like I've got all the, just, you know, be the magnificent person that I can be. Jesus says, that guy doesn't get it. He doesn't get in. And he's created this dilemma for us. And then he presents this solution. But what looks like an impossible situation, what is impossible for man to do, it is impossible for you to save yourself, is exactly what Jesus is pointing out here. God steps in and he does the work that we need. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And this, this dilemma is presented to us in the unfolding story of God. God had promised through his prophet, and I'm thinking of Ezekiel, God had promised that he was going to sprinkle clean water and make clean, set the people free from their idols, provide a new heart and a new spirit and put in within them and remove a heart that was stony and give them a heart of flesh. In other words, what Jesus wants to do for us that we can't do for ourselves is give us a new heart. It's called a heart transplant. He wants to tear open the cavity of your chest and take out the old and insert a new one inside of you. If I can get a little bit more, uh, give you some more images to deal with as you go to bed at night tonight. That this is what Jesus is coming to do, that this is the solution to the problem. And Jesus says it's difficult, it's impossible. With man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. That we have nothing to offer. That it's impossible to make ourselves right. 
It's impossible for for us to clean ourselves up before a holy and just God, but because the sinless Savior died for me, my sinful soul is counted free. And so there is this hard saying by Jesus, and it's difficult to get into the kingdom, but then he presents the solution to this uh, dilemma, and now he's going to finish with a little warning. Peter, you know, for all, for all good things Peter brought us in his writings, Peter's the guy that, it, you know, you know there's, a, there's always the, the one friend or the one person in a group that you're in that just always says something. And you're like, you just enjoy hearing yourself speak. In, in other words, in, uh-oh, did I, am I talking about somebody in that? In other words, in other words, I just want to tell them and I just want to look at them and say, can you just shut up? Just because you have a mouth, it does not mean you got to speak. No one cares. So shut it. I feel like Peter's that guy. Peter's always got something to say. And I, I can't judge based off, you know, how he said it or, you know, what, what, what Jesus, you, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, Peter's, well, Jesus, you lost one, but hey, we, we've abandoned everything. We have been the people who, who, who left, you know, whatever they left and, and they go to Jesus and, and Jesus is saying, and, and he responds to them in such a way, he's like, yeah, but the first will be last and the last will be first. It's an interesting little little dialogue here that, that happens between Jesus and his disciples. And what is Jesus saying to them? And again, he's pointing them back to the whole point of this narrative of this story. That if you want the kingdom... Or, or we'll frame it to, if you want salvation, there, there's only a way you can get there. And, and it's just simply, it's repent and believe. You can't, sure, you left everything. What, what now? Is that an idol for you too? Oh, look what I did. Oh, oh, you've you've done this. Oh, you've done that. Wait, what do you what do you want? Jesus to come down and, and pass you on the back? Oh my lord, like look, oh my me. Like this is this is a star-studded Christian. No, get in line, bro. The only way. And so there's there's this question then that's being posed, like you you can hear the words coming out of my mouth. And you can say, yeah, but I just don't think I can leave this lifestyle. And then you'll follow in the footsteps of this young fella. And you'll leave here sad. You know, I've, I've even heard, and I, you know, this, this leapt out of me to me this week. Because I was talking to someone maybe a year ago in, in here in Cedar and and they were talking to them about the gospel, and, and the man said that if I leave, 
And if I abandon my religion, and if I turn to the true Christ, I'll have too much. I'll just, I won't be able to do that because of the weight that it'll cause on me. I'll have too much to lose. And many people that you come in contact with, you share the gospel, you tell them about the Savior, and they can walk away sad. And they will walk away sad because they are not willing to lay down the idols that they are clinging to. And I ain't just talking about them. I'm talking to some of us in this room who have not dedicated their life to Christ and who have not fully repented and believed in Jesus, not come to him as like a little child who is little and insignificant. I'm talking to somebody who is, who is not willing to lay down their idol. And you will walk away here because you cannot forsake and, and give up the life that you had. Don't be the guy who walks away sad. Zacchaeus is another one. Jesus comes to him. And I don't. I always think of the dumb song that comes with his name, and I'm, I wish I could wash that clean out of my mind, but I can't. Don't make me sing it to you, because I will. No. Jesus comes to the steps of little Zacchaeus. It was a wee little man. There, there it is. And he, and he says to Zacchaeus, and he says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Because Zacchaeus was willing to lay down everything. And so here's the word of the Lord. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. That Jesus is pressing us with, the, with his finger. Pressing on the pain points of your life. And he's asking you, will you kill that thing? Will you lay that thing aside? And come follow me. Will you give up your sinful life? Will you tear down the idols that you've been worshiping? And will you follow Christ? And the answer is either yes or no. And if the answer is no, then you will walk away sad because you were not willing to forsake the sin that you've been living in. 